What's up, everybody? It's uh, Wes and Andy back. It's uh, part three. Part three of uh, the Ahsoka Fano show as we are uh, covering uh, episode three. Time to fly. Time to fly. <laughs> it's uh, cutting her close to the wire tonight. I apologize for uh, getting started a little bit late here uh, this evening, but uh, sometimes that happens. Um, better late than never. It is better late than never. How are you doing? warm out today it is warm out here it's uh what something like uh 30 degrees yeah 30 on degrees celsius today which is kind of kind of cool for uh, uh i mean cool is in like nice to have hot weather uh in september so that's quite nice um what do we want to do first here let me get to this i want to just uh start with i want to uh go back and revisit some stuff that we said we were going to last week um i actually did <laughs> so Excellent. Let me uh, let me put this up here. Uh, first item up that I want to revisit is uh, the character poster for Marak. Clearly shows that he is wearing the uh, the it's Imperial. Faded, emblem. but it is. There. Yeah, it's faded, but it's definitely there. So, I mean, uh, yeah, it's there. I know we had a question. There was a question about whether, whether it was there. Or not, or not, it was actually there. But yeah, that's yeah. undeniable. Uh, I, and I did look for it through uh, throughout Time to Fly. I could not. I could not make it out. And I, I don't remember getting a great shot of him no. that close no. uh, in one or two. And it's too small of a detail that they don't even reveal it in like the Lego sets or anything. No, you're right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. With it being faded like that, you wouldn't even try to tampo that on no. a, on a black Lego figure. No. I don't think. All right. And the other one, um, I don't, I just want to send a special thanks. So this goes out to, uh, at Alistair cook, uh, 5066 who caught, uh, our live stream uh sort of uh, sorry uh caught it in the replay and was quick to remind us uh that uh, people seem to forget that uh, ships have blast shields that get activated uh, to cover things like broken windows you see them used in revenge of the sith after grievous uh, uh breaks the glass to escape his own ship and that is absolutely true also, in the case, and I, I threw up an extra image here of a uh, Gorian Shard's pirate oh, ship. Um, he used the shield. There's no, shield. there's no windshield glass, transparent steel, dura, what? There's nothing there. It's yeah. all ray shielded. Yeah. So absolutely, uh, Ezra Bridger survived. I know we talked about that. You know, could they have survived? Totally plausible. Yeah. Totally plausible. So thank you, uh, Alistair Cook, fifty sixty six. Thank you very much, man. Um. What did you think about Time to Fly? I, I quite enjoyed it. You did, eh? Especially the uh, space part. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to lie. I went uh, very deep on the, uh, the the ship rabbit hole this week. Nice. Um, and I'm excited to do that. I got more slides on that uh, than I probably uh, <laughs> than I probably need. Time to fly. Um, Facebook user. Yes, Facebook user, best episode ever. That must be Hank. I think that's got to be Hank. I mean, with the best episode ever, that is uh, consistent with the last uh, uh, two episodes. So, yeah. um, did not disappoint this week. And I would agree. The other thing is, shortest episode yet. Shortest episode. Yeah, maybe, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. He delivered lots. 
the pacing was great. Yes. Pacing was great. Pacing was so good. In fact, that there's a couple things that I didn't, I actually missed. Well, that's not uncommon. I miss stuff all the time on the first watch through, but the stuff that like a major detail that made me go, what? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm definitely going to go back and uh, talk about those things. Uh, Last week we had a whole Shakespearean thing this week. uh, Time to fly. Have you heard that line before? Um, I, I would think so. So one of the, one of the kids in hook, That's uh, right uh, I can't think of the young fellow's name, but time to fly with his, uh, mm. um, slingshot more recently. Wasn't Rufio. No, it was not, it was not Rufio. The other one. Uh, I agree. Uh, back to rebel spacing. Yes, very much. So very quick, very, uh, uh no, no momentum is spared. We, we get things moving and it stays moving. So if you're not fast, yeah. if you're, if you are not uh, taking it all in a second watch is definitely in order. Yeah. Second watch is good anyway. Well, listen, last, last week I went all Shakespearean on the title this week. I'm staying hundred uh, percent Hollywood. Uh, the, the line time to fly is actually spoken by, uh, Yaya Mateen's Morpheus in the 2021 uh, matrix, uh, resurrection. Hmm. And it's used, think about it though. It's used in a very transformative context. Morpheus, he says it to Thomas Anderson, uh, when he's trying to convince Thomas that he is in fact still Neo. Neo. He's only just forgotten. Of course, as the one Neo could fly. So is there, a, you know, an analogy here to be made between Neo and Sabine? Maybe, but I think that that's probably stretching a little too much. I think, well, I, I mean, think, kind of like the Matrix. You know, there was more than after the resurrection. Yeah, there was more than the one. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like there was more than one chosen one. That's right. So. I think Time to Fly, and I'm sticking with the Matrix. I actually kind of like this. Now, this this could be just be me. But I think it has a broader meaning in the in a uh, transformative context, in the sense that when uh, Neo takes the red pill again, yeah, he is awakened to what the construct of the Matrix really is, and his old life he can never go back to. In that sense, we have an analogous sort of connotation between this new galaxy and the matrix. It's this transformative thing that I suggested last week might be, cha- or maybe even the week before, no, last week uh, might be changing star Wars in ways that we couldn't imagine much the same way that the matrix did for the real world. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot so, of people yeah. online are saying that uh, this episode broke the one rule of George Lucas by introducing another galaxy. I don't buy that. No, he said in a galaxy far, far away, not in the galaxy. That's exactly what I've been saying in a galaxy, not the galaxy. There's multiple galaxies. uh, There's definitely more than one. Um, Before we go too far, though, do you want to kick open his cage? Oh, um, absolutely. Let's do it. Hang on a second here. Where did I put it? Oh, there it is. Hold on. Um, Yeah, we're going to have another one of those bad Star Wars jokes. All right. This week's Bad Star Wars joke comes to us uh, courtesy of Hank, who is uh, with us in spirit, and I think in the comments. Uh, Hank wants to know, what do you call a procrastinating Sith Lord? Proto Vader? (laughs) Uh, How about Darth Later? Nice. (laughs) 
<laughs> Darth later. I like that one. I don't know why we didn't use that one sooner. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, okay, let's get to it then. Uh, now that I've had my little uh, moment with the Matrix. By the way, rewatch the Matrix Resurrection again. It's on Netflix now, mm. uh, at least here in Canada. I've seen it twice now. That movie uh, uh, does a whole lot better on the rewatch than it did. I will agree with that. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it far more than I did the first time through. Yeah. Still didn't like the Merovingian, but mm. uh, the rest of it was okay. All right, this one, it is uh, uh, Ahsoka Part 2. It's called Time to Fly. Oh, sorry, I mean, Part it's our second 3. That's movie. right, it is our second part. You're you're absolutely right. Um, Time to Fly, the original air date was Tuesday, August. Uh, oh, wow, I totally did not get that right. That's not right. That's not right. Let me pull up the calendar here. How did I miss that? August 29th. 29th, thank you, you know very I remember much. that? Because of Judgment Day. Oh, my gosh, I have to fix this now. Uh, you know what? I'm going to do this on the fly. This is what happens when you reuse uh, your your show note uh, format. That's right. This one's written by uh, uh, Dave Filoni. It is directed by Steph Green. That's uh, two in a row for Steph, by the way. Hmm. It has an advertised runtime of uh, 37 minutes or an actual runtime of 29 minutes and uh, 22 seconds. That's a lot of credits. That is without your uh, titles or credits. By the way, titles and credits. Credits are coming up a couple times tonight. <laughs> Again. All right. Uh, in our episode synopsis, it reads Hera tangles with new Republic politics while Ahsoka and Sabine Wren voyage to a distant planet. Are you ready to uh, kick this thing off? Doug, says, uh, <laughs> Doug yeah. Best episode uh, ever is also a running gig. <laughs> it so is. All right. Let's get to, uh, oh, what are we doing here? Are we in the, uh, we are in our custom layout. Oh yeah, my gosh. We're good. I'm all over the place tonight. I apologize. <clears throat> all right. Our uh, episode opens uh, with Ahsoka's T6 shuttle barreling through hyperspace. On board the ship, Professor Huyang leads Sabine through a series of lightsaber drills, wielding four what I'm calling hollow projectors. I want to talk about those a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, that are emitting uh, these target cylinders of light. Uh, he calls a cadence while Sabine strikes at the targets with a wooden boken. Huyang calls a sequence of forms as he lunges. In no particular order, the forms that he calls are Kirei, Gaiki, Kisei, Yoki, Yate. Um, I tried to research the words, and I couldn't come up with much other than uh, the obvious uh, analogy uh, between Ki. Uh, key and key. <laughs> so no, I could not find a connection. If anybody out there in the martial arts community has a better take on that, I would love to hear about it because I could not find uh, a correlation and certainly no previous correlation in Star Wars anyway. Hmm. Ahsoka enters the room and she circles the room as the professor uh, and her apprentice move back and forth, striking at and parrying one another. At the end of the drill, uh, Sabine asks how well she did. Now, Huyang holds up the projectors uh, and he reveals. Now, this is where it gets a little bit convoluted because I actually have a, a, an interpretation of these that I don't think is necessarily the same interpretation as everybody else out there. There are two uh, colors of rings within the, the uh, light, the cones of light. Mm -hmm. Now, um, where are we at here? Oh yeah. So the, he holds up the projectors revealing what I think the yellow ones are 
target rings. Yeah. And I think the orange rings are a representation of her actual, her actual her swings and how close they are uh, in relation to the target where she should have been hmm. aiming for. That would make sense. I've heard other people say that um, they're, they're all her strikes. Just that the orange ones are probably, you know, are better or is worse off one, one of the, one color is better or worse than the other, but I leave that to you to interpret. I still think target versus actual strike. It just delineates it a little bit nicer. Yeah. Um, but that's not up with four of them, like grievous style too, right? That's right. (laughs) Uh, Also. So, um, I'll get, I'll get to this right now because we're right here. Um, if these are in fact training lightsabers, mm. that changes the context of what we understand training lightsabers to be. Yeah. That we know that at least up until now, they have been real lightsabers just dialed back in intensity. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it, that's what that is. I think those no. are actually hollow projectors. Yeah. With practice elements to them. Yeah, absolutely. Like you're very basic, basic. Yeah. Like as opposed to like the little training blaster that luke and oh the remote the remote yeah will actually do you damage that's right okay so um the professor tells her not bad but then counters with but not good as huyang deactivates his four projectors sabine remarks in frustration that it's been a while which isn't lost on the ancient droid who remarks obviously ahsoka remarks how sabine has remembered the basics and the mandalorian says it's enough to get by but just barely according to Hu Yang's assessment. Ahsoka suggests that they try something called Zatochi, uh, the Zatochi technique, but Hu Yang says Sabine isn't ready for that yet. With a thank you uh, from Ahsoka, she dismisses Hu Yang, and the droid returns the four hollow projectors to an open weapons locker. While we've got two weapons lockers uh, in the, the common room here on the ship, we've got uh, a locker on the, we- on the left-hand side, which uh, contains uh, this fancy, uh, I don't know what you call Almost it. It's like a fencing helmet. Yeah, it's that's what I thought. Um, I looked at various uh, face protectors, face shields. I mean, it could be any, I feel it's actually a commercial face shield, an off-the-rack face shield that they've just cosmetically altered for, yeah. uh, for that. We have in the left locker, we have uh, various wooden pole arms uh, and Boken and that helmet. In the right locker, not only do we have Hu Yang's four hollow things, it actually looks like we have actual, actual lightsabers in there. Mm-hmm. We also have a bunch of training remotes that are very much, hmm. very much like the, uh, the one that we saw in A New Hope. Uh, Facebook user, I see all of your comments and I'm going to hold off on them because I've got more. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hang on a second here. Where are we going now? Okay, uh, hollow remotes and uh, helmets. Ahsoka tells Sabine that her aptitude for weapons in combat comes from her Mandalorian upbringing, but that won't be enough. While she is training her body, she must also open her mind, because learning to wield the Force requires a much deeper commitment. When Sabine asks her master how, Ahsoka says that's uh, something she must discover on her own. Well, dejected, Sabine lets Ahsoka know that in Huyang's assessment, she's the worst Jedi candidate he's ever known. A point that Huyang reinforces by saying, it's true. <laughs> did you laugh at those moments? I did. He's just on he's, point he every is time. pragmatic to a fault. Like he's more, he's outspocked Spock. Yep. <laughs> 
All right, removing a training helmet from one of the lockers, Ahsoka tells Sabine that it doesn't matter. Sabine counters, it does matter. And Huyang is quick to agree with that. Ahsoka instructs Sabine to put on the blast helmet. Sabine quips, you're joking, right? With the blast shield down, how am I supposed to fight? Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Heading, uh, handing the wooden boken back to Sabine, Ahsoka tells her that she wants her to see by using more than just her eyes. Taking a boken from the locker, Ahsoka begins the drill with the instruction to be still. Listen to my voice, she says, as she walks silently around the room to stand next to Hu Yang. Calling out to Sabine, she continues, do you know where I am? When Sabine says, next to Hu Yang, she's startled by the response from Ahsoka, who's now standing just a few feet to her right, asking, are you sure? And if you're, if you're watching it on any modern device, maybe not on a phone, if you're watching it at home on your TV or in your home theater, you got the old uh, the audio trick audio. with the uh, stereo trick that, that they move the audio around to, uh, to confuse you, which just helps complete the, the illusion. Yep. All right, Sabine uh, balks, very funny, but Ahsoka, who is all serious, uh, tells her that she would be dead. Lifting the blast shield, Sabine smirks, not if I could see you, which is the point. Ahsoka tells her to lower the visor and concentrate, and the lesson continues. Since, uh, uh, sorry, Sabine takes up a ready position as Ahsoka begins to circle her once again. And in a moment reminiscent to Ben teaching Luke on the Falcon, Ahsoka encourages Sabine to feel her presence and take in all that is around her, to follow her voice and sense her intention. Reaching out with her boken, Ahsoka taps Sabine on the shoulder, and the Mandalorian instinctively reacts with an ineffective high block. Taking a step back, Sabine's head darts left, then right, as she returns to the ready position. But another tap, this time to her right shoulder, catches her off guard, and she spins and counters. But the counter is clumsy, and Ahsoka easily blocks the attack, sending Sabine staggering back a few steps. Catching herself, Sabine steps back and circles toward the center of the room, while Ahsoka moves silently behind her. Ahsoka stops in front of Huyang and watches as Sabine pivots around, uncertain of where her opponent is. Then it's another tap to the left shoulder and another ineffective block. Tapping Sabine on the wrist with her boken, Ahsoka swiftly moves around her. By now, Sabine is beginning to exert herself, but more importantly, her frustration begins to, to show through, and it's evident in her aggressive saber strikes. Emotionless, Ahsoka meets each strike, blocking a few of them before sidestepping Sabine, causing her to miss wildly. Changing her angle of attack, Sabine swings wildly in the opposite direction of where Ahsoka is standing, after which she goes on to unleash a flurry of empty blows in a seemingly random direction. Ahsoka moves around the room again, and she offers uh, her boken in another clash, but it's a short exchange, and Ahsoka is gone again. Slowing her movement, Sabine looks left and right, and then she backpedals nowhere near Ahsoka. With her back now facing her master, Ahsoka points uh, her boken at uh, Sabine, and she turns, this time sensing her presence, and she recklessly grunts through another flurry of blows, ending in a clumsy thrust, putting her well inside of Ahsoka's reach. With a flick of her foot, Ahsoka sweeps Sabine's leg, and she falls face first to the deck. Frustrated and tired from the sparring, Sabine lifts the blast shield and stares at her master. 
Looking down at her, Ahsoka tells her that anger and frustration are quick to give power, but they also unbalance you. Resting her boken on her shoulder, Ahsoka squints at Sabine as she says, Let's go again. <laughs> now, um, if Hank were here, he'd be able to, he'd have a, a, a something to say about this. This may uh, 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 bring some stuff up for anybody who thought that this might be reminiscent of the uh, training sequence from that episode of uh, Tales of the Jedi. Absolutely. Um, as, you know, Anakin once said to Ahsoka. Come on, let's go again. It's not all he said, though. Remember, he's like, sense their intention. Who's going to yeah. fire first? Oh, exactly. And she's like, sense my intention. So we definitely have a nod, uh, oh. a throwback to that episode. That's uh, uh, a nod to uh, practice makes perfect. Yeah. That was the episode. That the we're lessons were not lost. On oh, no, she's absolutely not. In and. All right. So we now have a name for the technique that we first saw all the way back in 1977. Oh, yes. Uh, Facebook user. Nailed it. You got it. <laughs> we have a name for that technique. It's uh, Zatochi. That's the uh, maneuver that Ben uh, puts the blast shield over Luke's face. But how uh, can I see? How can I fight if I can't see? Well, Zatochi is an obvious reference to the uh, literary character Zatoichi, created by a Japanese novelist Ken Shimazawa in uh, 1962. Hmm. Now, Zatochi, uh, the character, uh, is a blind masseur swordsman and he became the central protagonist of one of japan's longest running film series having appeared in 26 films between 1962 and 1989 hmm. as well as a television series that ran from 74 to 79 now the 1989 film blind fury with rutger hauer is an adaptation of the 17th zatoichi movie called zatoichi challenged Really? So there you go. There's your uh, samurai connection this week. The blind warrior connection. And then we cut to our title cards. In orbit over the planet Chandrilla, a squad of A-wing starfighters makes a pass through the assembled New Republic defense fleet. At its center, surrounded by over a dozen support ships, uh, sits a true hero of the rebellion, the Mon Calamari star cruiser Home One. One uh, once the flagship of the Rebel Alliance, it continues her role only now under the New Republic. Sorry, what what year was uh, Zatochi? Zatoichi sixty two. Okay, yeah. Well, I just the the comparison between Daredevil, another blind. Oh fighter, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But he was April nineteen sixty four. Ah, so close, but you kind of wonder. Win. You kind of wonder if one if, uh, one, the Yeah, other. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Doug says that it's also a nod to Anakin's training style. Yeah, absolutely, it is. Uh, going back to home one. Yeah. Uh, once the flagship of the rebel Alliance, it continues its role now under the flag of the new Republic as the, uh, uh sorry, we got uh, one from Sarah coming in here tonight. Sarah says it was great to see a larger part of the new Republic fleet. Yes. I totally agree. As a ship nerd, <laughs> which I unabashedly am. I love this scene. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to cut it a little bit it, it, tongue in cheek though. Um, cause it's star Wars and I love the wars, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yes i love seeing that um i do have some questions though about like how we went from uh like uh, uh demilitarization to suddenly we have what looks like a bigger fleet than what we had at yeah. return of the jedi <laughs> yeah all right so as the fighters perform a flyby of home one's bridge the camera pushes in and we can see a few, we can see a few uh, crew members through the viewport now, inside the ship, uh, Hera meets with the ship's first officer. That's Lieutenant Vic Hawkins, 
and a Mon Calamari uh, 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 pilot uh, trap, uh, dressed in the uh, flight suit of a New Republic pilot. Hera asks if the Chancellor is ready for her. Now, Lieutenant Hawkins informs her that she is, but also offers a warning that there are several uh, senators with her, and she stresses that one of them is Senator Hamato Ziono. The opposition. <laughs> uh, well, we'll talk about him. If you had later. to guess, like, oh, yeah, he's in there. <laughs> he's the obvious, uh, well, he's our first real obvious connection to uh, Star Wars Resistance, hmm. as he's uh, um, um, uh, Kaz's father. All right. Well, the door uh, to the war room is open and inside we can see, did I skip a slide? Oh, I feel like I've missed something. No, I did not. Uh, the door to the war room is open and inside we can see the holographic image of five people taking the lead Hera and the new Republic officers move inside to face the Senate committee. Um, so this is where I'm going to, I just tongue in cheek. I want to have a little fun at this because this sometimes, I mean, it's not unique to star Wars. It's kind of a science fiction thing, but it's like, that shot of the flyby of the bridge and then pushing in on the bridge. That's the establishing shot that tells us that, by the way, the war room is in that same little pod <laughs> as the bridge, you know, on the top of the ship on that little neck piece. Yeah. Like that is a like colossally bad idea. Like you, you don't put, yes, you would have the bridge somewhere where you can see out of the ship, but Hey, like, 20th century submarines don't need to see where they're going to navigate. And I mean, space is essentially water, right? True. Like the number of important people that you could have at any one time in that room, like that is a colossally bad idea. And on real world, uh, 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 warships, the operations room, which essentially that's what that is would be below decks, right? More central to the ship where it's less likely to sustain damage. <laughs> but anyway, I think it's hilarious. But I love Star Wars. I love the design of Home One and all the Mon Cal ships. Maybe so it, maybe it doubles as like an escape pod. It just detaches and away they go. With they did the same. Thing. They did the same thing with the Profundity in yeah. uh, in uh, Rogue One when it was hanging at the bottom on that fin. It's like, well, there's the bridge. <laughs> Why? Um, probably uh, an in-world explanation is that the majority of the Alliance fleet. And now the new Republic fleet war uh, converted Mon Calamari civilian ships. Mm. So, I mean, if this was a star liner, yeah. well, then there'd be no reason not to do it that way. Yeah. Anyway, that's my little gripe, but Hey, <laughs> it looks awesome. All right. So uh, this is a new character. First officer, Vic Hawkins uh, played by uh, Nikan Robinson, who is uh, an actor and director. He's got 20 acting credits, starting with, 2018's Thunder Road, where he played uh, Officer Nate Lewis. His longest running gig was playing Xander on the uh, TV show The Filth, and he has uh, seven upcoming projects listed as either completed or in post-production. Cool. Uh, Armand Calla pilot did not get a credit, um, and I wasn't chasing him down. <laughs> it might be Misty Rassas again. <laughs> oh, maybe. Maybe. Entering the war room, General Sindula offers a formal greeting to the committee. But Chancellor Mon Mothma, keeping it informal, calls Hera by her first name, adding that she looks well before asking about her son, Jason. Hera looks over her shoulder as she smiles and says that he's well and somewhere aboard the ship. The Chancellor cheerfully presumes that he's off causing trouble with Chopper, who she, like, name drops. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Off to her left, uh, Senator Ziono interrupts the small talk, wanting to get to Hera's report. Uh, adding that they're already late for something. Hank, who's now switched over to YouTube. <laughs> Ziono, you prick. <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit totally. more about Ziono uh, when we get to the end of this, because there's a real interesting thing here. Uh, there's an interesting line of dialogue between the two of, uh, between Hera and him that I think actually connects in a meaningful way to uh, resistance. Okay. You never thought we'd talk resistance, but here we are. Never did. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, off to her. Oh yeah. Sorry. We got through that. Turning the floor over to Hera. She recounts that uh, Hera recounts that her investigation into the attack on the Vesper. We now know the name of that MC 30 that got attacked. The Vesper led her to the uh, Santa, sh uh, sorry, Santa shipyards on Corellia where she was attacked by Imperial loyalists who are still working for Morgan Elizabeth. A human woman, Senator Rodrigo, calls the attacker outliers and reminds us that they have former Imperials working for them at every level of government. Where have we heard that before? Yeah. She adds that all of them have sworn oaths of loyalty. But Hera tells them that the attacker's cry of, Long live the Empire! doesn't exactly ring of the kind of loyalty that they might be looking for. Now, would they really be that loyal? Like we've seen them on Coruscant. They're like basically prisoners. The, like, okay, you're done your work day back to your. Oh, okay. I thought we were talking. Oh, but yeah. Complex. Mm, I think it depends though. Like in a labor force, a general labor force, it might be easier uh, to keep the, the lower class people down, but the social elite, I think yeah. that's kind of where, and I mean, look at what's his name, Min Weaver. He was a, a, a fairly prominent businessman that those people, I think, would be harder to, you know, you couldn't just lock them up, you know, you, oh, you're going to go to work Monday to Friday, you know, uh, nine to five and then go back to your, your you know, assigned quarters at night. I just yeah. don't think you could do that with some of these high, high profile positions that yeah. just require that much more. Yeah. I saw a great meme online about this. Yeah. It was somebody instructing him say. Shoot first, then scream for the empire. Oh wow! It's like shoot first, then scream. Shoot first, then scream. And of course, he shoots second. <laughs> well, the chancellor points out that the offenders uh, were arrested and the facility was shut down until further investigation. But Hera thinks that the activity suggests a much larger operation. It seems like this isn't the first time that Hera has had a face to uh, has had to face down a hostile group of politicians, specifically Hamato Ziono, who balks at her. It always does. Hera adds that she thinks the larger plot involves Grand Admiral Thrawn. The name touches a chord with Mon Mothma as she repeats his name with a troubled look on her face. Thrawn disappeared years ago, and the Chancellor isn't sure how any of this could be true. Hera tells her that she has good reason to believe that he's alive and that his allies are working on a way to find him. Well, the chancellor asks if she's certain, and that's where Hera's plea starts to come undone. Hera asks for approval to form a military task force to go to the Denab system so she can find out definitively. But having heard enough, Senator Ziono chimes in, suggesting that this is just another attempt on Hera's part to gain access to New Republic resources in her personal quest to find Ezra Bridger. Pushing back against the senator, she reminds him that Ezra, Ezra disappeared while fighting Thrawn. But continuing as if he didn't hear a word she said, 
Senator Ziono continues that she is conveniently using the threat of Thrawn's return to acquire resources uh, that could otherwise be used for more practical purposes, like helping the people of the nascent uh, New Republic. Uh, what do we got here? Hank says, uh, Vesper is uh, Hesperus, as in the wreck of the Hesperus, about a captain being prideful. That's interesting. I have another take on that. Um, but I do like that. I think that's mm-hmm. probably more more in line with what I was sure. thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll get to it. We'll compare notes. Yes. All right. Uh, <laughs> Hera questions if Senator Ziono was ever in the Galactic Civil War. With a single blink, he locks eyes with her as he, as he says quite simply, no. Sensing where this might be going, Mon Mothma actually looks away without any effort to conceal her contempt for the senator. Hera mocks him as she says, oh, just sat back and waited to see who came up on top. The other senators, having noted the shots fired, look to Ziono to gauge his reaction, all except for Mon Mothma, who lifts her gaze and looks sharply at the general, as if whatever influence Mon Mothma had just went out the door. Quiet up until now, Senator Maywood speaks up, telling Hera that he and all the other senators on the committee are grateful for her service and her role in restoring the Republic. But it is they as senators who now serve the people, and he asserts that none of them want any further conflict. Hera says they're acting as if they have a choice. And Senator Rodrigo shoots back, don't we? Scoffing, she dismissively tells the rest of the committee that she she sees no enemy, the Imperial fleet is scattered and broken, and they have no central command. Interrupting the senator, Hera asserts, unless Thrawn returns. Senator Ziono tells the general to make her point, and she tells them that having fought Thrawn, she knows he's not a typical Imperial officer, that Thrawn killed friends and people that were like family to her. The line isn't lost on Mon Mothma, whose wounded look tells us she knows it's Kanan Jarrus that Hera is speaking about. With nothing left to lose, Hera makes a Hail Mary play, telling the committee that she spent most of her life fighting a war, which is why she's trying to convince them now to help her prevent another one. But Senator Ziono won't have it. He asserts that Grand Admiral Thrawn is dead, and it's in his opinion that Ezra Bridger died heroically with him. Hera shouts, you don't know that. Then the soft voice of Chancellor Mon Mothma calls her. General, Hera, allow me a moment to speak to my colleagues. Gathering her composure, Hera clasps her hands together and she offers, of course. Recognizing the Senate committee, she and the other officers leave the room while Mon Mothma stares after her. And it's really cool to note, um, in case you forgot, remember, we're talking about a pair of space moms mm-hmm. who can relate on a level that nobody else in that room can. Yeah. They've also known each other personally at this point for what, 13, 13 years or so at this point. Roughly, yeah. yeah. So they've, they've clearly got a, a, a bigger connection than what we're seeing here. Yeah. And they've both been invested in fighting this war longer than that too. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm curious to see if we go back now to the one scene in the Mandalorian where we have all those unidentified conspirators in the same room. Oh, really? Yeah. And see if one of them kind of matches up with him. I'd be interested to know. Yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. 
Right. That would be cool. Um, okay, so uh, one other thing we want to talk about. Yes. The uh, Santa Shipyard mm -hmm. uh, confirmed that is uh, Coronet City on uh, Corellia. That is the same shipyard that we saw in Solo, nice. Star Wars Story. Yeah. All right. Now, um, I did not find, I, I wish I had found a mythological uh, reference to Vesper. I didn't, but I did find, oh, what did I do? Did I skip a, I did. Uh oh, oh no. Did I go, did I miss one? No, you got your World War II presence there. Where, oh, there it is. Sorry. It's in the same slide. I thought I made two slides for it. <laughs> I did find a historical reference uh, for the Vesper and I find this one to be interesting in a different way. Um, during uh, the First World War, uh, the HMS Vesper uh, was commissioned for the Royal Navy to serve during World War I. She was eventually decommissioned and placed in reserve, but then reactivated, recommissioned in 1939, and served all the way through World War II and stayed in service right up to and including the Battle of Normandy, and then was de decommissioned again in 1945 and finally scrapped in 1948. Hmm. So... What's interesting here about the Vesper is that that period of decommissioning, there's a lot of years that while well, 39 to uh, 45, we get a six year gap. Yeah. As I said before, we have this like uh, point where it's like, okay, we've got to demilitarize everything and everything that we've seen suggested tear, break everything down. We're, we're moving towards decommissioning. And now, like I said, we've got a fleet that's suddenly bigger than what we saw in return of the Jedi. It makes me wonder if the Vesper, along with all of those other MC-30s, were war stock that were like taken out of commission that we didn't see and now have been reactivated. And if that's even remotely close, it doesn't break anything that we already understand about the Alliance fleet. Mm -hmm. They are of a similar sort of aesthetic. I would say that they are probably Mon Calamari design, yeah. which means they could also have been civilian ships pressed into service later on mm -hmm. so yeah interesting take on uh the vesper all right let's get to uh who's who in the zoo here um what do we got here we've got from uh, left to right we've got senator maywood that's maurice irvin uh he played general finley on uh, fbi international you may also recognize him as uh, wendell from 911 uh, next to him <laughs> no you know, uh, yeah there's a lot of these i don't recognize the next one is uh, Senator Rodrigo. That's uh, Jacqueline Antaramian. Uh, she played Anna Ross on Manifest, which I did watch, by the way. That's a good show. Also played uh, Dr. Zakarian on Jessica Jones. I watched that. Uh, Genevieve O'Reilly, uh, obviously, as, uh, as uh, Chancellor Mon Mothma. Uh, besides all of her Star Wars appearances, you might be surprised to know that she... <laughs> <laughs> appeared in one episode of that horrible horrible beastmaster tv series where she played a character named naga <laughs> oh, there you go just when you think you know someone all right uh nelson lee that's uh senator ziono um now he played the chancellor in the live action uh, mulan uh, as well as the dragon king in uh, star girl now, we never got to see his face in Stargirl. No, we didn't. He was a very evil character. Oh, absolutely. Like, he, he was a fantastic, yeah, fantastic villain. Yeah. And then our there's a grand senator in there. Doesn't get a word. Hmm. Has no word. Doesn't get a credit at all. All That's right. My Misty Russ ass. Um, I didn't build this into my notes, but uh, it's okay. We can talk about it now that we're staring at him. Let's go back to, uh, do we have a thing with him? Where's he talking? Oh, I thought I had a close-up of him. Maybe I do later on. No, I don't. 
okay. we'll stick with this one. Um, Ziono, mm-hmm. did you serve in the war? Uh, no. Wasn't old enough. By the time we get to uh, Resistance, uh, Kazudo Ziono is a full-fledged member of the Resistance. Hmm. His father, as a politician, used his influence to get him into the military, which makes me wonder if uh, if Senator Ziono later on will is trying to live vicariously through his son, even though he still comes across like a like a, a yeah, he does. By the way, he survives the attack on uh, on uh, Hosnian Prime. Hmm. He and his entire family survive Hosnian Prime when uh, the First Order take out the uh, the, new Republic. the New Republic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn you, Ziono. <laughs> Did he have inside information? I don't know. I don't know. They didn't have much time to bail. Not really. No, but it conveniently, uh, did Kaz has a conversation. He's like, um, are you okay? Is mom okay? Yes. The whole family. We were off world when it happened. And that's just kind of, it's left at that. We went for ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. In another system. <laughs> okay. As they depart the war room, Hawkins blurts out, well, that went well, but the steely glare from Hera suggests that she doesn't appreciate his sarcasm. And neither did I. <laughs> Suddenly from behind her, the voice of a young boy calls out, hey, mom, mom, a green haired boy, maybe 10 or 11 years old, rushes down the hallway. Chopper rolls in beside him. Hera turns to face her son, Jace, her son, Jason, as he is enthusiastic, as he enthusiastically continues Is it true Aunt Sabine's going to be a Jedi? Hera folds her arms across her chest as she quizzically asks Jason, where did you hear that? Beaming with enthusiasm, Jason looks toward the scrappy little astromech. Chopper told me. Shrugging his arms, his little arms, Chopper uh, chitters away something that might be like, what? So what? Hera just smiles and shakes her head. Wide-eyed, Jason looks up at his mom and tells her, I want to be a Jedi. Tussling his hair. Hera smiles and says, yeah, I know you do, Jason. Um, We were concerned that Jason was spoiled by that Lego set for the ghost. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was intentional, but they made his hair brown in the Lego set, Hmm. at least in that uh, on the box art. But it's clearly green here. Yeah. So we did get the uh, we did get the, the green hair. Yes. Yes, Hank, Jason. And absolutely the Lego figure hair was a misdirect. I believe that it may in fact have been an intentional misdirect. And that's not the first time I'm going to say that tonight either. Yeah. Cause they can do that. Like just change up the production art that they release and then yeah. flip it for actual product release. Yeah, absolutely. Now, oddly enough, uh, Jason is another one of those characters that doesn't get a credit. Uh-oh. He does not get credited in the show. So interestingly enough, I just added him in. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Jason Sindula is played by uh, Evan Witten. He played Ethan Salazar for 10 episodes on the series next back in uh, 2020. He also played young Elliot on Mr. Robot in 2019. So yeah, he was the young uh, Rami Malek. Neat. Now, if you uh, were an astute viewer, you may have caught one of the nicest little tribute tributes to Jason's father in the form of a green shoulder pauldron sporting that same uh, bird. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a bird, right? Is it like a, a variation of the star bird? I think so. I think it is uh, scaled down for a kid. And I almost had a, like a, like a single tear over it. <laughs> I thought it was so good and it's still good. 
Okay. Well, back on the Jedi shuttle, Ahsoka and Sabine sit down at the conference table and they share a drink. Sabine is now dressed in the undersuit of her Mandalorian armor. Ahsoka sets what I think is a tea set down on the table and tells Sabine that she did well in her drills earlier today and that she was always a fast learner. Sabine acknowledges uh, that like Ahsoka had previously told her, she can handle weapons, but the rest of it is a struggle and it always has been. As Sabine pours the beverage into two cups, Ahsoka tells her it takes time. Sabine accepts the words, but adds that she was hoping that the urgency of their situation might expedite her training a little bit. No cutting corners. Of course, learning to wield the force just doesn't work that way. So, 10 bucks if I learn the force. <laughs> Is there some way we can fast track this? Can I do it on like the two-year plan? <laughs> So not only is Sabine resolved that she can't use the force, she also says that she can't even feel it, which is obviously not true because she did. Uh, we did see a, a, a minor display of that in the uh, sequence with the the, the Bokens. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Ahsoka reminds Sabine that the force resides in all living things, including her. With a smirk on her face, Sabine questions, if that's true, then why doesn't everyone use it? Ahsoka nods as she acknowledges that talent is a factor, but she also says that training and focus are what truly defines someone's success. So there it is. I mean, for anybody who was ever questioning this whole, like, do you got to be somebody to be a Jedi? Mm -hmm. the, the definitive answer is no. And it always has been. Yeah. Anybody can be a Jedi. It doesn't contradict anything that George Lucas said. It just adds more. Uh, more to it and if this isn't the you know absolute validation of uh broom boy from uh from rise of skywalker then there you go yeah placing her hand uh her hand over the table ahsoka extends her fingers toward the cup a few inches away from her and she reaches out with the force the cup begins to slide uh, slowly across the table as the cup moves ahsoka tells sabine that not everyone can handle the discipline that it takes to master the force superficially her words could be taken at face value but it also serves as an illustration of ahsoka's own mastery over the force that she can concentrate on moving the cup and have a conversation at the same time and she's moving it slowly oh absolutely like, just like she did with the stone with grogu it's very like, she didn't just fly it across like yeah, grogu yeah. when he grabbed the knob it was just yeah gone. yeah it's where she is deliberate yes. and intentional and thoughtful yeah Hank says, um, like the rebel scene when Chop moves the cup, making Ezra think that he moved it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ahsoka takes a drink from the cup before getting up to leave the table. But before she goes, she offers two words of advice. Start small. As Ahsoka walks away, Sabine stops her. Earnestly, she tells her master that she's going to give her best with the training. Ahsoka smiles as she heads towards the cockpit. Now, alone at the table with her thoughts, Sabine eyes her master's cup sitting on the table. Kind of gives it a sideways kind of mm -hmm. little eye shot there. In the cockpit of the T-6, Professor Hu Yang sits in the cockpit of the co-pilot seat monitoring the ship's systems. Ahsoka takes a seat beside him and asks if there's been uh, anything from Hera as to whether or not they'll be getting any help from the New Republic. Hu Yang says no word as of yet, then changes the subject and he asks what Ahsoka thinks of Sabine's progress. 
Ahsoka tells the ancient droid that Sabine is frustrated, and that remains a challenge for her. Like, this is a case of where punctuation matters, because it's like, she's frustrated, and that's a challenge for her. Or, her frustration is a challenge for her. Mm -hmm. You know? I think it's actually kind of a bit of both. Yeah. Huyang asserts that both Ahsoka and Sabine knew that renewing their master and apprentice relationship was not going to be easy. I think that line there solidifies that it is a bit of both. For sure it does. Yeah. Gently chiding Huyang, Ahsoka says that what he told her certainly didn't help. But Huyang, sticking to his programming, is pragmatic to a fault, and he replies that he was only stating the truth and that the Jedi Order would never have accepted Sabine because she simply just isn't an acceptable candidate. Oh, it's a good thing she's not in the room to hear that. And at the same time, that's almost like the same level of uh, hubris from the Jedi Council. Right? It's, it's Yoda, you know, too old, too old to begin the training. Yep. Nodding, Ahsoka refutes the professor by their standards. So, Jedi or not Jedi? She's tossing they, them, there around mm -hmm. like, I'm not part of that. Yeah, she's a new type. Absolutely. Standards that, as Hu Yang puts it, were proven over a millennium. And standards that ultimately failed when the Jedi Order was destroyed. Hu Yang points out that historically there have been very few Mandalorian uh, Mandalorians to ever become a Jedi. But Ahsoka says she doesn't need Sabine to be a Jedi. She only needs her to be herself. I think that's cool. Mm -hmm. I think that is that, you know, a lot of that contextual stuff that, you know, what does it mean to be a Jedi? You know, we, we were talking about, you know, gray Jedi is the one that comes up all the time. Yeah. I still don't know if I, I still don't think that's the best term for it, but we are definitely changing the meaning of what it means to be. Yeah. A force wielder who is essentially a good person who wants to help people. <laughs> yeah. And just be the best version of themselves. Maybe something uh, closer to the, the proto order, the Jedi, maybe, maybe somewhere, you know, we'll, we'll get that legends. Uh, the legends thing will, will be recontextualized and we'll see like the Gen Sarai maybe become something who knows. Hank says, uh... Oh yeah. Hank says Jedi and new definition yes i kind of like that now the i don't know if it's going to be a new definition of jedi and I, and the only reason i say that is i think we still have to wait and see what they're going to do with that ray movie because that mm. is essentially the the next yeah iteration of it rebuilding the jedi order you know and i mean we know that ahsoka isn't around by that time because we heard her voice with yeah. everybody else when in the uh, i am all the jedi line Unless she was just broadcasting like Yoda did. Oh, I never thought about that. And then Ray is just not able to see her yet. Possibly. That's an interesting thought. Similar to when Ezra heard Yoda, but he couldn't see him yet. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, yeah. Ahsoka says she doesn't need Sabine to be a Jedi. She only needs her to be herself. Rationalizing her words. Uh, he notes that just like Sabine, Ahsoka also comes from a long line of non-traditional Jedi. And in that sense, Sabine fits right in. Ahsoka just sighs as she stares at the cockpit. Long line of uh, non-traditional Jedi that goes all the way back to Yoda. Mm -hmm. Yoda to uh, Dooku to Qui-Gon to Obi-Wan to Anakin. And now Ahsoka. And then Sabine. And then Sabine. 
so yeah, we are definitely, uh, um, we're definitely changing it up. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, uh, Hu Yang's words echo what others have said, including Fen Rao and the armorer. Uh, Tar Vizsla wasn't the only Mandalorian to become a Jedi. He just happens to be the only one that's ever named. And that's the, that's the thing that kind of, that one got me this week because what other, like, is Tar the only one that's worthy of talking about? Hmm. Well, in the same sense that those other 9,990 Jedi... <laughs> Who were eliminated <laughs> during order 66 9999 <laughs> i guess so i guess but i mean i mean the dark saber doesn't mean anything but let's remember this thing is like centuries old right yeah. like uh after tar Vizsla, uh, uh passed the jedi took the the dark saber and they essentially locked it up until clan Vizsla liberated it and used it to unite the mandalorian people it's just weird that Okay, we're gonna we're gonna loosely suggest that there are other Mandalorian Jedi, but we don't hear anything about them, hmm. especially in the show The Mandalorian, where that is slowly becoming that's been a major plot point. Mm -hmm. Anyway, minor gripe. <laughs> Hank says every third uh, student becomes evil. <laughs> that's right, eh? <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of Fen Rao. Uh, do you guys remember that uh, Kevin McKidd was uh, spotted on uh, on the set of The Mandalorian last year? I don't recall that. For season three. It was rumored that uh, he was going to come back uh, for uh, the live action Star Wars for uh, Mandalorian season three. Hmm. Season three came and went. We didn't get any Fen Rao. But I would offer this. Fen Rao was a character that wasn't introduced until Rebels. Hmm. Do you think there's a chance he'll come back in this? Maybe. We only have a limited number of a limited number of episodes to get all the stuff out of it that we want. Is there, is there another season of this plan? Do we know, like, is there rumors that there's going to be a second or is this a limited event? I would think there's room for another season for sure. If everything is culminating in this Filoni verse movie, that's the only reason I ask, like yeah. how much TV do you jam in before you get to that movie? Well, there's still a few pieces he wants to move into place, right? I agree with that. Uh, Fen Rao is a great, a great character to bring back. And Hank says, yes, that would be kick-ass. Totally agree. Um, the last time we saw Fen Rao on screen was when he pledged himself and the protectors to Bo-Katan as the rightful wielder of the Darksaber and ruler of Mandalore. But at the same time, if he was on set, maybe he was filming a scene for something other than the Mandalorian. Doesn't say if he was seen in costume, just that he was there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hank says, I believe there's going to be a season two. Okay. Because it wouldn't be the first time like they filmed stuff in secret. Oh, absolutely it's not. Like, oh, we have everybody in place. Well, let's just go over to this room and film this scene while you're all here. Something else we're going to talk about tonight. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, given Fen Rao was a character introduced in Rebels and that this show is at the very least the spiritual, if not literal successor to Rebels, uh, maybe there's a chance he will show up. And I really hope he does because... I love Kevin McKidd as an actor and I love the character of Fen Rao. So I'd like to see him come back. Nice. Well, still seated at the table back in the common room, Sabine stares down at the ceramic cup, closing her eyes. She uh, points. <laughs> I should not write. I should proofread this stuff more because it said I, I actually wrote pouts. She pouts her finger. Isn't that something? Uh, closing her eyes. She points her finger towards it as she quietly recites the forces in all of us. 
straining and twisting her hand uh, at the cup. She opens one eye only to see that the cup hasn't budged. <laughs> Letting out a sigh, Sabine, uh, she enters her, centers herself again uh, and tries once more. This time she keeps her eyes open with a deep look of concentration. As the music grows more tense, the camera pushes in on the cup. But then Sabine's concentration is broken when the ship's intercom chimes and Ahsoka says that she's got Hera. <laughs> you have to relax your eyes. <laughs> Slugging back a drink from her own cup, uh, she sarcastically tells uh, the other cup, you win this round, and heads <laughs> off for the cockpit. There is no spoon. That's right. Another Matrix reference. Here you mm. go. Cut to an exterior shot of the T6, uh, still in hyperspace, before we uh, cut inside to the cockpit. Sabine enters, and seeing the tiny hollow image of Hera, beams with a smile and says, How far out are you in the fleet? Hera's answer is considerably more somber, as she tells them that neither she nor the fleet will be joining them. Sabine is shocked by the news that the Senate committee wouldn't approve the mission, and asks Hera, What does that mean? Hera tries to apologize, saying that she has orders to follow, but the transmission suddenly becomes garbled and then cuts out entirely. Huyang says that they have now entered the Denab system and that all communications are being jammed. Ahsoka orders him to drop out of hyperspace so they can find out what it is that Morgan is hiding. Weird thing here. Yeah. Um, she's actively trying to get the Republic to help this yeah. time to prevent a war. That's right. Right. But when presented with the option the last time, she turned her back on it. Instead of telling the council and Windu and everybody, Anakin's in line to be yeah. this, yeah. she just held her tongue. Because Mace Windu was kind of a dink. Interesting, though. You know, I I guess it depends on, like, who do you think's ultimately pulling the strings here? Do you think, like, Ahsoka is overall calling the shots? I think Hera is doing what she's doing independently of her relationship of yeah, I mean, they do have that familial connection, though. I mean, ultimately, it is let's go rescue Ezra and bring him back. But yeah, she still has a job to do. And she even tries to say that in her hollow transmission. Like, hey, I, there, I it's my job. And they, <laughs> oh, we didn't get to hear what she was going to say. Yeah. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Hank says, it's like seeing a 3D puzzle. <laughs> You've got to relax your eyes. Yeah, absolutely. I was terrible at those. Sabine wonders why they've uh, dropped out of, oh, sorry, what did I say that? Uh, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah we're, we're there, we're there. Uh, Sabine wonders why they dropped out of hyperspace so far away, and Hu Yang tells her that it's standard Jedi mission protocol uh, when approaching an unknown situation in order to avoid any enemy surveillance. Rolling her eyes, Sabine looks down at Ahsoka and retorts, is he still doing this? <laughs> Naturally, it's Hu Yang's programming at work, and he can't really help himself but he does indicate that his last scan put the transport hauler from Corellia in orbit on the far side of the planet that they're currently en route to, but also something else, something much larger that uh, he can't identify. Oh, Hank coming in with a captain Tava to the rescue. <sighs> I don't know. I, I mean, it's how close to the outer rim we are at this point. Uh, do we remember the name of that outpost? I do not. I don't even know where it is in relation to where we are in the galaxy, to be honest. And does she have enough clout to like, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, can she just appropriate an entire, an entire squadron? Like in a, 
like an entire police precinct? Can she do that? I feel more likely that she could maybe get one or two. They could spare one or two people, maybe Carson. And as Hank says with Zeb, of course, yes, absolutely. We have to get the full cast reunion. Yeah, we have to get that. I would like Carson Taven to come along. I think he's a, he's a bonus. It keeps us connected. Mm-hmm. Keeps us connected to all the other stuff. But I too, can right? see Zeb being like, yeah, let's go. And Carson be like, all right, I'll go with you. Yeah. Or, or Zeb doing that. I'm going. Yeah. You can't go. Well, I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you're going to go, then I better go with you. Cause if you're going to take the, you know, <laughs> if you're, you're going to go this. down, you'll need me to help back you up. <laughs> yeah. He's already established that he bucks the protocol. That's true. That is absolutely true. He has done that. I mean, he did, uh, have a, a go at that new Republic official that no, no, we can't do that. And if we're getting Carson Tava, might as well bring Trapper. Gonna get Trapper Wolf. Yeah, <laughs> let's get all the cameos in the next what uh, five episodes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, suddenly a proximity alert sounds off, and two squads of starfighters converge on the T six from behind. Shinhati leads one of them, while Maroc leads the other. By the way, descriptive audio makes a point of calling him Maroc. Shin calls him Maroc. Hmm. So I've been saying Maroc or Merrick. I don't know what's correct. Hmm. Oh, there's another great one too. Hank says, and could we get and Callus? Hmm. I'm a big fan of Callus. I would like Callus to come back. No wonder I'm a big fan of Callus. I'm a big fan of of uh, of of Cassian, and I think those two characters are are would be very. Uh, they Similar. would have a they would have a kinship. They would have a professional professional relationship. <laughs> And Balin. <laughs> Why not? Dust them all off. The skipper to the millionaire and his wife. <laughs> Sorry. Well, just throw everybody in there. Right. Uh, proximity alarm uh, sounds off. Two squads of starfighters converge on the T6. Shin leads one of them with uh, Maroc leading the other. As the fighters form up behind the T6, Ahsoka instructs Sabine to man the tail gun. And uh, I want to get this out of the way because I spent way too much time on this. But uh, if you came for the Starship show, hey, hey, it's that time. All right. Um, This is a a new class of fighter that uh, originally I thought we hadn't seen it before. Kind of looks inspired by a pod racer, a very specific pod racer. Well, there is some of that going on. Um, I thought it was a new class of fighter that we'd never seen before, but in truth, um, having done my research, I think we may have actually seen it before okay, or at least a variation of it before. So you're going to have to follow me through my whole thought process here. All right. One thing for certain here is we are actually looking at two, two variations of the same ship. One of them, the one in the large image has uh, vertical stabilizers on both surfaces of the wingtips and these two ships, because there are two of the six, two of them are trimmed out this way. They are trimmed in gold and red. These are the squad leaders. It's Merrick and Shin. Hmm. The other four ships uh, forego the wing stabilizers and instead have a single stabilizer on the underside of the tail just behind the cockpit. Hmm. All right. So uh, my thought process was that, oh, there they are. Actually, sorry, I should have I should have put that up so you can see the difference. Hard to make out, but that is definitely uh, two different classes. One with the wing, t- the wing stabilizers and one with the, uh, with the, the tail fin. thing, the underside tail. Yeah. It's definitely the same like hull and cockpit. Shape. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, is this the one we got in the Ahsoka T6 Lego set? 
Yeah. Uh, yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, it is. Uh, right. The other four ships have the other stabilizer. Okay. So like I said, I thought that this was something we had never seen before. And I tried really, really hard, uh, to shoehorn it into some pre-existing legends era design, kind of the same way that a lot of people wanted to like say, Hey, Gorian shards, snub fighters kind of look like the legends era R 41 star chaser. Yeah, kind of. But I mean, it also looks a lot like mm. details of remember the, the, the uh, ship design that Lucasfilm did in association with Porsche. Yes. It has elements of that in it as well. So, you know, I'm not convinced that Gorian snub fighters are the R41 star chaser, but I would admit that if you had to shoehorn it into a pre-existing design, that's not a bad choice. Yeah. It could come from the same family. And that, that influenced what my thought process was. So I immediately started going, looking at legends, era ships, that this might shoehorn into. And by the way, it was a massive shoehorn, but I did, I did find something. I did find something. Um, I went with what's called this, the, uh, CF nine, uh, crossfire. Okay. Now the crossfire, this is a spiritual successor to the X wing. It's made by the Incom corporation, the same people that make the X wing. Um, and thanks to a submission to the Lego ideas, we actually can see what it would look like with those S foils closed in the landing position. Mm -hmm. But when I looked at the ship and I realized that no, like the, the pivot point for the, the S foil is just that it's a rotating pivot point. Whereas like the ship that we see on screen, that's an engine. Yeah. Like that's like a big, like, does that not look like a world war two fighter to you? It does. That's what I mean. Like it, it totally fits in with, with the aesthetic of the original star Wars. Mm -hmm. Well, that brought me back to, you know what we need to think, you know, what are the guys like, uh, you know, what does Doug Chang think about when he's designing something new for the galaxy far, far away. And we got to look at sort of the design aesthetic that's, that's come before it. I go back to what we've seen already on screen. And I said this originally in our private chat. The first thing I said, the very, very first thing I said was, I think this looks an awful lot like general Grievous's ship. Mm. Like the, uh, what is it called here? It's the, uh, Belbalab 22 heavy starfighter. You know, with some modifications, well, st yeah. stick with me, stick with me because I kind of had to go through this whole process and and here's why I'm going to, I'm going to double down on this here in a minute. I'm, you know what? I'm doubling down on it now. I'm actually going to go out and say that this is the Bellabub, uh, the, the Bellabub 22 heavy starfighter. If it's not, it's in the same family. And the reason why I say that is that these two ships are the same ship. Mm. The Republic Y wing and the Alliance Y wing are the same ship. Just a little, they've bit just been color. stripped down. So when you, when you apply, and then of course we have Andor's, uh, ugly ship, by the way, uh, which, and that's cool because this is a, another ship that's cobbled together from other ship yeah. parts, right? Like it doesn't really have its own design classification per se, but we definitely know that, oh, those are Y-wing engines. Yeah. This fits really well with a concept that comes from legends, uh, called uglies. Uh, like tie uglies. That's kind of where it originates from the idea that all of these, you know, you can make new ships from other, like cobble. Yeah. We take the ball cockpit from a tie fighter. We strap on some Y wing engines and an a wing, you know, cannon. And it's now this thing, right? Well, it's no different than Mando's new starfighter, right? Absolutely. 
So going back to uh, what I said about uh, Grievous's ship, if you if you applied that same logic, now we're talking Clone War, and it totally fits with this. This show is such a nod to everything that's come before. We're going to get some more Clone Wars uh, references, by the way, specifically related to these ships that just really add to the idea that this is that this new class of ship is a Clone War era design. If you strip down all the sleek fairing and all of the body panels and started taking it apart to to modify it could you not strip that thing down to look something like that 100 percent. yeah um yeah so i would definitely say that these are the same ship if they're not they're in the same family yeah and uh just for the the, the final word i just want to put this out for you here's a top-down uh, comparison of both uh grievous's ship and uh, one of the fighters, by the way, the animation model that, uh, the, that digital model, the, the digital rendering, I don't know who to credit for that. I found them online and I could not find an artist to attribute them to. So I apologize if this is your work. Fantastic work, by the way. Absolutely love it. Um, great modeling, mm -hmm. but even the wing profile, you could see how, if you cut, cut the fairing away, take off all of the, the rounded stuff. Yeah same family i think and of course the the obvious uh stabilizer under the cockpit that's what made me kind of go hmm reminds me of grievous's ship mm -hmm. all right i spent way too much time on that <laughs> great rabbit hole <laughs> thank you all right well the tail gun getting back to the tail gun the tail gun itself is a large ball turreted twin laser cannon poised on top of the t6's engines Leaping into the gunner's seat, Sabine toggles on the targeting computer and frustratedly remarks that Ahsoka has gotten rid of all of her targeting presets. Ahsoka retorts, well, I never really needed them. Donning a headset, Sabine uh, reports, tail gun ready. Well, Shin... You don't think of either, right? What's that? Like any presets. I wouldn't have thought presets for, uh, for targeting computer. What I did think of was, is this the only weapon on the shuttle? Hmm. There's no forward facing weapons. And if there is, I mean, obviously they were getting shot at from behind. Yeah. But again, when you go back to Clone Wars and even uh, uh, this class of ship in Rebels, there's no turret on it. Hmm. That's new. That's new for this show. Hmm. So is it a retcon or is it a modification? I would say it's a modification. I agree with that. I think the Jedi would, you know, as diplomats and negotiators, wouldn't have weapons on no. their ships. No. So yeah, I think this is a new thing as well. Uh, where was I? Oh yeah, leaping into the gunner seat and she says tail gun ready. Shin orders her wingmates to attack and they make a pass at the T6. The position of the fighters and the camera movement evokes that scene from A New Hope when the Millennium Falcon is getting attacked by the TIE fighters when they escape the Death Star. Mm. Sabine tracks the fighters. Oh, what? A, uh, oh, wait, we got Three. two. We got Sarah. Sarah, I agree. I thought they looked like the soulless one. Okay, so I'm not the only one who thought that. Thank you. Uh, Hank, nice work. Thank you very much. Uh, followed up with, is Sabine nervous in the presence of her master? She's a seasoned combat veteran. Feels like they, uh, that, like they nerfed her a bit here. Uh, she was bullseyeing left and right in Rebels. Uh, that is true. That is true. Maybe well, that's... Like she said she's a bit rusty. She's out of practice. She did say that she's rusty. What's she been doing on Lothal besides just... Running her, from celebrations. Ripping around on her bike, trying to avoid accolades. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's true, though. They're, they're skills. And if you don't use the skills, they do, they do dull over time. 
Okay, so we get the evocative, uh, the the scene that's evocative of A New Hope. Uh, Sabine tracks the fighters and returns fire, but misses. Then Ashin strafes the T-6, landing several blasts on the wing-shaped hull. Sabine struggles to stay with the fighters, but these fighters are very fast and very nimble. Uh, she shouts into her headset for Huyang and Ahsoka to hold the ship steady. Finding this to be a teachable moment, Ahsoka reminds Sabine to learn to anticipate. But Sabine frantically says, now's not the time for a lesson. Then Maroc and one of his wingmates strafe the T-6, landing more blasts on the starboard wing. Huyang, having now moved to the station behind the co-pilot seat, continues to scan. Ahsoka asks him if he has anything yet, and he tells her nothing on the object, but he does have several thoughts on everything else that happens to be going on around them right now. Ahsoka chides him, not now! But he retorts, uh, the way that she and Sabine are acting, there might not be a later. For a moment, Ahsoka's tough exterior breaks, and a dire expression creeps up on her face. Shin continues to weave unchallenged behind the T6, shooting at them with relative impunity. Uh, Shin is wearing a uh, headset uh, lifted directly out of um, uh, Revenge of the Sith, by the way, mm -hmm. at the opening sequence with uh, Anakin, Anakin and Obi-Wan. That's the exact there. same. I've, I've, uh, I put it in in another spot. Oh, and uh, Sabine's headset is uh, virtually the same headset that Lando wore on the Falcon in uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker. Nice. Pretty much goes back all the way to uh, another nod to A New Hope. Mm -hmm. Alrighty. From the cockpit, Ahsoka asks Sabine, what do you need? Sabine tells her to get ready and to move on her signal. And as the T-6 closes in on CTOS, the enemy fighters close in on the shuttle. Sabine tracks the three fighters, and when the lead ship makes an attack, Sabine calls out for Ahsoka to uh, dive the shuttle. Throwing the shuttle into a perpendicular dive maneuver forces the smaller, more nimble craft to circle around each other as they try to follow, which causes them to bleed off some of their speed. But it's not enough for Sabine to land a shot, and they continue the chase. Ahsoka levels out the ship while Sabine apologizes for missing. But with Maroc and his wingmate now poised head-to-head -head with the T-6, Ahsoka tells her not to worry because she's about to get another chance. Rolling the shuttle, Ahsoka barrels headlong through the pair of fighters, forcing them to break formation and split, which is enough for Sabine to take out Maroc's wingmate. Barreling towards Setos, Shin orders two of the fighters to form up on her wing. Sabine warns Ahsoka, who suggests they roll them. I thought that was an interesting, uh, let's mm. roll them. Roll them. She says it in a way that suggests that they've done this before. Yeah. And when the lead fighters make a strafing run, Sabine calls out, Port, now! Ahsoka uh, rolls the, ship the ship's fin-like wing to port, causing the T-6 to drift laterally in the same direction. The fighters can't match the maneuver, and when they try to come about, Sabine is already on them and guns down two more. Uh, Hank adds, don't get cocky. <laughs> oh, wait, drinking. <laughs> she's been drinking is that it that's why she was missing she was drinking <laughs> that's great what did ahsoka pour in that cup yeah <laughs> ahsoka calls for another update from huyang who says that they should be able to see the object now far off on the artificial horizon where space meets the curvature of Setos, they spot the eye of zion 
Hu Yang supposes it's some kind of hyperspace ring, while Ahsoka says, I'd like to confirm that. So pointing the T6 at its center, they press on. As the ships draw closer, Shin radios Morgan on the Eye of Sion, alerting her that the T6 has entered her sector. From the bridge of the enormous hyperspace ring, Morgan uh, tells Shin to stay clear and she will deal with the Jedi. As she orders a droid crew member to uh, prepare the ship's turbo lasers. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Purgle collar? <laughs> That's an interesting you know thought. Maybe. That is an interesting thought. Huh. Mind you, if that was the case, then they wouldn't need engines. No. I don't think they need engines. Purgle collar. That's a double get the double post on that one okay that's fair uh yes as she prepares the the ship's turbo lasers shin then instructs maroc to form up on her wing and wait for her signal i did find that line funny the turbo lasers turbo laser is a term that goes all the way back to the original though yeah um i'm going to talk about them a little bit in a little bit because something happens that that is different from any turbo laser we've seen before so i'm i'm interested to talk about that okay uh, form up on her wing and wait for her signal responding with an as you wish uh, which is very digitally garbled mm -hmm. uh, intentionally i think is part of that you know they're playing with us yes they are <laughs> maroc and the last remaining subordinate fighter peel off and get clear of the ring puzzled at this turn of events sabine lets ahsoka and huyang know that the fighters have broken off unsure of what's to come next ahsoka tells sabine you'd better get back to the cockpit Huyang instructs Ahsoka to keep the ship steady while he completes his scan. We cut to an exterior shot where we see the T6 has gotten close enough to the Eye of Scion that we can now make out more of its details, like uh, the position of the engines and the bridge. And what looks like uh, Morgan's ship kind of attached to I it. think that it's part of the bridge. It's yeah. the, the bridge is all gold, right? And yeah. so was that, was her ship. that moth looking yeah. thing. I think it's part of it. With the turbo lasers now in a firing position, Morgan gives the order to open fire and they begin to belch out green blasts. But something is different here. Now these blasts, even the ones that miss, explode like flak all around the shuttle, forcing them to bob and weave around clouds of superheated debris. Hmm. We've not seen turbo lasers do this before that I can recall. No. So not only are they turbo lasers, they're also flak cannons. Sabine rushes in uh, into the cockpit and takes over uh, deflector control while Huyang reports that he is now collecting data on the ring. With, with, <laughs> with two cannons firing on them, the flak begins to intensify, so Ahsoka slides the shuttle from side to side. Meanwhile, Huyang is surprised by the data that he's collected, saying, how interesting, I never would have guessed that. Ahsoka asks if he has everything he needs, but the scan isn't complete yet. Then, holding up his hand and making a pinching gesture with his thumb and index finger, Huyang asks Ahsoka to try and get a little closer. His voice slurs the words as flak erupts all around the ship. Angrily, Sabine shouts at the professor, Are you cross-wired? But he cheerfully insists, Closer, please! As the shuttle gets closer, the cannon fire becomes more accurate, and despite her best efforts, some of the flak finds its mark. On the bridge of the Eye of Scion, a smile twists up on Morgan's face as she watches the cannon fire slowly chip away at the shuttle. 
as the T6 is rocked by Flack, who Yan calls the conditions intolerable. But Ahsoka points out that he was the one that wanted to be closer. An alarm sounds out, and Sabine reports that the deflector shields are now at 10%. We're really getting Star Trekky in this one. Mm-hmm. Lots of uh, coordinated stuff. But they, but that's cool. They're acting like a crew. Yeah. And I, I like that. With the T6 about to uh, thread the needle of the hyperspace ring, Ahsoka insists that uh, Hu Yang had better hurry up. He calls for patience as the scanner's whine increases in pitch until he finally declares, scan complete. Oh, did I miss a thing? Did I miss? I didn't miss a thing. Did I? Where am I at? No, that's her twisted smile. Oh, that is. Uh, but then, oh my gosh, scan complete. Okay, so let's go to, there we go. Um, so your scan complete is in the. Oh yeah, so it is, yeah. But then a blast of cannon fire uh, lands a direct hit and sparks erupt from the shuttle's control surfaces, showering the occupants. Morgan stands in front of the viewport with her arms folded behind her back. A puff of smoke, barely visible at the bottom of the window. She asks the droid navigator if the Jedi shuttle has been destroyed, but the droid's answer is less than satisfactory as it reports that the ship no longer appears on our scope. It's not really the answer she was looking for. No, like either it's gone or it's still there. Yeah, it's off our scope. It's just cloaked because it's It's the the Yeah, it's the ambiguous, uh, they no longer appear on our scopes. Yeah. They could be dead. Mostly dead, sort or of dead. There's no power on it, and it's yeah. just floating there like the Falcon. Yeah, exactly. Outside, the T6 floats silently through the aperture of the ring, debris trailing behind it. Inside the cockpit, Hu Yang sits slumped over his station. Sabine calls out to him, but he doesn't answer. Ahsoka tells Sabine to leave him, because right now she needs her to run a full diagnostic of the ship, driving it home that they can't help Hu Yang if both of them are dead. Back on the Eye of Zion, the radio chimes in, and it's Shin who contemptuously congratulates her for almost getting them. Morgan struggles to contain her anger as Shin tells her that she has eyes on the T-6 and will take it from here. Then she, Maroc, and their wingmate fly past the bridge to intercept. On the T-6, Ahsoka asks what's working. Sabine tells her not much. She adds that the backup has kicked in, but they're effectively dead in the water. There's no hyperdrive, no cannons, and to make matters worse, there's incoming fighters. Getting up from the pilot's seat, Ahsoka tells Sabine to work fast, adding, I'm going out there. With a confused look, Sabine asks, out out there, out where? As she dashes through the cockpit door, Ahsoka tells Sabine, just keep working, I'll distract them. We cut to open space again, where uh, the three fighters streak towards the wounded T-6. The shuttle's momentum has carried it through the ring and is slowly drifting towards a CTOS below. Satisfied with herself, Shin announces, we have them. Meanwhile, Sabine has folded herself underneath one of the ship's consoles and is working to rewire, rewire it. With the comm, uh, comm channel open, she shouts out, I hope you know what you're doing. Outside the shuttle, a circular hatch opens, and Ahsoka, clad in a blue and white spacesuit, steps out onto the hull and ignites both of her lightsabers as she watches the three fighters in their downward dive. (laughs) Hank, best scene ever! (laughs) All right, but Ahsoka manages, sorry, Mara calls out that uh, she's standing on the wing, 
Shin spots her and opens fire. Ahsoka deflects a number of blaster bolts before Shin nearly flies her fighter through her. But Ahsoka manages to evade the near collision by performing a cartwheel flip several feet above the shuttle's hull, uh, allowing both Shin and Merrick to pass underneath her. <laughs> Hank, hey Ray, how do you do that? <laughs> that's how you do that. Sorry, that's how you do that. Oh, that's cool. Landing on the hull just above and behind the hatch, Ahsoka uh, wheels and takes up a ready position as the three fighters maneuver for another pass. At the same time, Sabine stares at the limp form of Hu Yang as she struggles to rewire the ship. Sarcastically, she blurts out, the one time I could use your advice. <laughs> the fighter group makes another pass. Shin looses another volley of fire at Ahsoka, who once again deflects most of the bolts. Using the same cartwheel maneuver she used to evade the diving ships, Ahsoka manages to cut the port wing off of the subordinate fighter, sending it into a uh, reckless spiral before it explodes. The flash lights up the cockpit of the T-6, and Sabine leans into the canopy glass looking for Ahsoka, thinking that she was in it. But then Ahsoka's voice fills the calm, and Sabine's head snaps up as Ahsoka floats by. Did you fix the ship yet? Taking the pilot seat, Sabine sh uh, throws uh, some switches, and the console, along with the rest of the cockpit, flickers to life. I got it, she exclaims. And watching as uh, Shin and Maroc come around for another pass, Ahsoka nervously says, That's great! Now get me! <laughs> Other people have commented on this, and I and I feel like that, that needs it's worthy of commentary. That Ahsoka, as a character... Now, she's gone through some stuff. Yeah. She's been very flat in terms of her demeanor she's been dour and kind of gruff yeah that line now get me is like just a hint of the old ahsoka yeah a little more like upbeat and i quite like that line there you go hank coming into uh, rebels dialogue to a t i totally agree with that totally agree with that it's that the banter between them yeah you know we're, you know, uh, seconds away from death by any number of reasons. And we're still like making jokes, right? Like that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Well, rotating a dial on the console, the fin like wing of the T6 begins to spin until it makes contact with Ahsoka's magnetic boots. As soon as she has her footing, Ahsoka sprints for the hatch. Shin unleashes another barrage of cannon fire, but Ahsoka is able to grab the hatch ring and she swings herself inside the shuttle and yells to Sabine, go, go, go. The T-6's engines flash blue and the ship dives toward the planet while Shin and Merrick tail after them. Ahsoka's uh, EVA uh, suit, this is not, this is a, a very stark contrast to the uh, space suit that we saw her uh, wearing back in the Clone Wars, which is interesting because clearly the suit that she's wearing is also Republic-era stuff i mean it's it's clearly sporting the uh what do we call it the galactic rondel i think that's what we call yeah. that the uh custom made for her yeah i mean like, which is weird because the other one just had a big you know yeah like a generic ball. yeah 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 multi-purpose i do like the uh the what do we think of the fitting the 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 helmet to her leku and her montrals what do we think about that yeah 
it would be less restricting because you figure in the other yeah. in the other one she wouldn't have as much movement because her her head tails would be stuck right uh i agree yeah 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 i think you're right uh i think it looks great uh i actually thought that the blue and the white tied in nicely with the new republic pilot uniforms mm. but then you throw in the galactic republic symbol which is not the new republic symbol and then it's like oh well, you're confusing me now <laughs> Stay in your lane, damn it. All right. So uh, rushing into the cockpit, uh, Ahsoka tells Sabine, nice trick. Got any more? Sabine grins back at her as she says, buckle up. Jamming one of the control levers forward, Sabine throws the shuttle into a rolling dive. But uh, Maroc and Shin are practically glued to them and continue to lay down fire. As Sabine uses the clouds for cover, Ahsoka notes that she's tracking something ahead of them. Four blips appear on the scope as Sabine asks if it's another ship. Ahsoka murmurs, no. Then she and Sabine both stare out the viewport. Two enormous purgle erupt from the mass of clouds directly in front of the ship and pass overhead. Sabine and Ahsoka both watch with bewilderment. So cool. As uh, does Maroc. As both he and Shin pass between the pod of whales. Shin, on the other hand, stays uh, focused on the shuttle as uh, she keeps up her barrage of fire. Many of the errant bolts strike the purgle, which seems to have no adverse effect on them. Uh, Sabine takes a breath and flies straight at the mouth of one of the whales before pulling away at the last second. Diving into the darker, rain saturated clouds beneath the purgle, she passes by the animal's eye. That's nearly as large as the shuttle itself. And still the two fighters press their attack. From Maroc's cockpit, we can see Sabine weave the shuttle through the whale's tentacles, which makes it near impossible for Shin to land a shot. Sabine rotates the shuttle's wing horizontally and they pass down the tight passage that's created by two undulating tentacles, causing their pursuers to lose line of sight with them. Coming out behind the whale, Sabine spots a way through the mass of whales, and she dives the shuttle deeper into the clouds below the pod. Having lost them, Shin and Maroc pass overhead, unaware their prey has escaped, at least for now. All right, let me just uh, talk about this right now. This was the blink and you'll miss it moment. Why does Maroc have like a hua at the purgle? I mean, it could just be. He's just as like, wow, as Ahsoka and Sabine are. To be that close for the first time maybe yeah there's some wild theories floating around about uh merrick and uh, his potential identity i mean first of all merrick could just be merrick yeah and i mean maybe that's all he'll ever be um <laughs> one of the wildest ones out there is that merrick might actually be ezra bridger maybe but he wouldn't be so shocked to see them if he was like, well that's oh, what hey, i thought i mean ezra had he had a connection with the purgle yes so it works on some level you know if they're if it's someone we know or maybe don't know in there i don't know do i personally think that this is ezra bridger uh no i don't but what i do think is that this having Merrick stare at the purgle the same way that Ahsoka and Sabine does, this is that nod from the folks that are making this that know that we're out there consuming this stuff voraciously. We are looking at it microscopically and they're actively trolling us. 
They are in. I think this is an intentional. We're going to keep you guys guessing right to the very last, uh, last second. True. Hank says uh, that to most, the Purgle are a rumor or a legend, uh, much like the Mythosaur. Hmm. Interesting thought. So yeah, I don't think that's that's Ezra, but I do find it interesting that they made that they made an intentional choice to have him huh? do the old head snap and look at them the same way that that our protagonists do um, just to keep everybody guessing. And by the way, intentional misdirect that I absolutely love. I totally love it. I, I, I'm, I was giggling at the thought that, Oh, they're actively trolling us. This is great. (laughs) Cause it just creates so much crap on the internet to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, But watching through the first time I didn't, I didn't catch that. I was just looking at the purgle. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Oh my God. Live action purgle. Right. It was a blink and you'll miss it moment. That's like I said, like I didn't catch it the first time around, but it's like, oh wait, he did. He's like totally like engaged. Huh? Yeah. All right. Well, there's another theory from Hank coming in. Uh, Hank saying, uh, scarcely could be a night. It could be night sister magic reanimated cane and Jairus. That is one of the other ones that's floating out there, especially the whole, uh, Maroc being, uh, a, a, a knight that was turned into a werewolf. And then we have that whole, uh, the, the loth wolf at the end doom that might have been the hmm. spiritual essence of Canaan in wolf form. So I, there is that I, I I'm not, uh, sorry, I'm not. Yeah, there we go. Turned to a wolf for seven years by a witch named, uh, yeah, Morgan. Oh, so there you go. Right. I do love all of the symbology. I love all the mythology. I just, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to put. I don't want to put my my cart ahead of the horse. You're not ready to. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not ready to. I'm not ready to call this one. I'm more of the opinion right now that the helmet never comes off. It never comes off, and we never know. And it's an intentional. You decide, and you let let your own head cannon be the deciding factor. Fair enough, but we'll see. We'll see. With the shuttle gone, uh, Maroc shakes his head and he sighs with obvious uh, displeasure. He stays in formation with Shin, who searches the sky in front of them, but all she sees are the mass of whales moving throughout the clouds. Um, because that sequence was so fast and so uh, dodge and twisting, mm-hmm. we saw four dots on the scope. They were moving too fast for there to be just four of them. There had to be more than just yeah, four. an entire pod. That's what I mean. Like. 10, 12, yeah. 20, I don't or know. Maybe they were just grouped close enough that they only showed as four. These were definitely the 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 big ones, right? Like yeah. it, the canonically they talk about there being like purgle and then what do they call them? Great great purgle yes. or the the big ones? Yeah. The big ones. To me, to my estimation, they were all the bigger variety. Magic, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hank says that the black and white loth wolves from uh, Rebels Mural are Shin and Balin. Oh, okay. That is an interesting hmm. thought as well. Hmm. Nope. I'm not committing to that. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I accept it, but I'm not committing to that. Where are we at here? Oh, yeah. The shuttle's gone. Uh, 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 with the shuttle gone, Maroc shake his he- shakes his head and sighs with obvious hmm. displeasure. He stays in formation with Shin, who searches the sky in front of them, but all she sees are the massive whales moving throughout the clouds. 
Far below the fighters, the T-6 drops out of the clouds, leveling out a few meters off of a body of water, and it races towards a nearby shoreline. The shoreline is covered with the same reddish-pink-leaved trees that we saw before, so this is probably the same landmass where the map henge is located. Which would explain why when uh, Balin looked up, he saw the silhouette, right? Yeah. Just then, the limp form of Hu Yang begins to sit up. His last words, scan complete, ring out before he realizes that, oh, he's been out for a little while. Oh, took my battery back up a while to cycle, I suppose, he says. A new part. Yeah. The professor asks what he's missed, and the girls tell him they almost died several times over. Without missing a beat, Hu Yang scoffs. Ah, yes, standard operating procedure. With the engine sputtering, Sabine flies along the coastline for some time until finally heading inland uh, to a small clearing in the Red Forest. Setting the ship down, Ahsoka tells Sabine to shut the power off. Now, Hu Yang objects, noting that he has work to do, but Ahsoka is already out of her seat and toggling his power switch off. The professor's voice trails off, I suppose that's true. Then both he and the ship are silent. Nestled quietly uh, beneath the forest uh, canopy, Ahsoka takes her seat, then both she and Sabine turn their attention upward. The chirping of birds can be heard outside, but the peacefulness is broken as uh, Shin and Maroc's fighters streak overhead just above the trees. Shin and Maroc both scan the ground. Seeing nothing, Shin presumes they must be hiding somewhere in the forest, and she orders uh, Maroc to regroup with her and the two fighters pull away from the surface and climb back into the clouds. Presuming that the fighters are gone now, Ahsoka risks turning the power back on. Uh, sitting down, she looks at Sabine, who's still staring at the forest canopy. Ahsoka asks if she's all right, and Sabine tells her that she hasn't seen those creatures since the day that Ezra disappeared. Hu Yang's computer console bleeps and whirs, and Ahsoka asks him if he has anything interesting. Flashing up a hollow image of the Eye of Scion, he says that the enemy vessel is still under construction and it's not yet complete. He adds that the ship has six hyperdrive engines, with a seventh still being set into position. Hu Yang confirms that it is, in fact, a hyperspace ring, but it's on a scale unlike anything he's ever seen before, which says a lot for a droid that's several centuries old. He theorizes that the ship, uh, or that a ship of this configuration with its power levels, could be capable of a hyperspace jump of what he calls astonishing speed and distance. Ahsoka asks if such a ring could jump into a neighboring galaxy. And Huyang theorizes that if one knew the coordinates, he believes it could citing that the Jedi Archive speaks of intergalactic hyperspace lanes uh, between galaxies that used to follow the migration paths of the Purgle Star Whales. Nailed it! <laughs> Just in case you were wondering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, so, the where is it? Did he say it again? Uh, no, but he said Chimera. Oh, yeah. So, Chimera. I actually thought the reason that they were building it was that again, I don't, I don't necessarily want to keep making these star Trek analogies, but like, you know how a starship uh, can generate a warp field and, and other things can be caught in the warp field. Hmm. Can the hyperspace ring, can you park ships inside the hyperspace ring and just take them with you? Right. I mean, the Jedi starfighters had to physically dock with it, but 
and maybe that'll be the case yeah maybe, maybe docks between the two sure and there's some kind engines. of clamps or something that we don't see that are going to fold out of it and grab the chimera and bring it back i don't know but that is probably a, a, a fair assessment chimera caller is it big enough to bring back the chimera and the other ships or were the other ships used to keep the chimera you know in in mm. serviceability i don't know we'll find out though yeah big enough to bring back a fleet of star destroyers i don't know hmm. i don't know maybe we're gonna find out one way or the other yeah all right looking up at ahsoka uh looking up ahsoka mentions like the one we just saw which catches hu yang by surprise as he retorts really when <laughs> look up <laughs> oh by the way uh for anybody who was wondering uh purgle uh in the um in the in the uh, um what do you call it the subtitles? Uh, yes in the subtitles is uh, lowercase p so uh if we use the can the same convention that we've been using all along that denotes uh lower intelligence not a higher creatures not of a higher intelligence these are animals yeah the same way that tauntaun lowercase t right yeah interesting i actually thought there was more going on with them which is kind of bizarre right because well, you think of whales in in our own culture like how intelligent yeah. whales really are right yeah but yeah animals all right at the map henge balin stands at its center escorted by an hk droid and a large team of guards one of the guards approaches the former jedi and balin tells him that the jedi have taken refuge in the forest and orders them to uh, hunt them down the guard issues an order in an alien language, and the team splits up into uh, smaller groups as they move out into the forest. The camera then pushes in on Balin's face. With a brooding gaze, he heaves a heavy sigh. And we cut to black. Yep. He does a thing here. Um, Morgan's done it too. They both refer to the Jedi. What is the plural of Jedi? Jedi. Jedi. Is he speaking of just Ahsoka? He knows that Ahsoka is coming. He said she is coming. I would assume he also knows that Sabine is there because he sent uh, Shin after. There is so much going on here with this character. And I mean, he's like, had he such. So, he's got knowledge that we don't even know well, yet. This is it, right? Like, this is a guy that I think spends a lot of time. Uh, uh, you know, uh, what did Mar uh, Morgan say to him? What do you see? Yeah, and what he do you said see? it's cloudy still, but here's a guy that spends an awful lot of time uh, meditating on the force. Yeah, and you know he's had visions. Yep. Um, what's he seen? What does he know? And uh, what's he not telling everyone? Exactly. Exactly. Because what does he say? What did he say uh, when Shin said, "What's in it for us?" Power. Power. Has he foreseen something? I would assume so. Otherwise, he wouldn't so bother well. participating in this endeavor. There's also a forlornness about him. Like there's, like he always said, it would be such a shame to kill her. There's so few of them left. And here's a wild prediction that I am willing to make. I do think that he sees stuff, and I do think that he's seen the future. I actually think that he's seen his own death. Quite I think he, I think he knows, or has a, a pretty good idea where he will meet his destiny. And it'll be to when be. he turns back to the good side. You know, maybe in that way that, you know, Star Wars villains typically do that in a self-sacrificial way to yeah. get the redemption arc. And therein might be this show's redemption arc. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. But there's more. 
there's more. Oh, wait, before we get into more, do you want to, is there anything you want to, because we are, we are at the end of the episode. Any thoughts? Another great one. It is a good one. It, like the space battle. It was like, oh, and then Purgles is like, oh, puts the wars back in the war. I, yeah. I do. I really do like the, uh, the starfighter stuff. I can't get enough of that stuff as a ship nerd. This, uh, this show has delivered. So, uh, thank you for that over. Wow. That really, that really flickered. Apologies for uh, my camera cutting in and out like that. I don't know what's going on there. If it's a connection issue or what? Hmm. Uh, I do have more. I'm going to go back. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Hank, uh, best TV space battle yet. That's true. That is absolutely true. I want to come back to the, uh, the credits this hmm. time. Uh, so Paul Darnell's credit this week got upgraded. Okay. Uh, so, Weeks one and two, or episodes one and two, he was uh, he was credited as a performance artist. He's now been upgraded to featuring, featuring Paul Darnell. And a lot of people are, have taken this to mean that because he's listed as featuring, that means that he must be voicing the character, therefore he can't be Sam Witwer. Yeah. Well, I, I disagree with that the same way like David Prowse was featured as Darth Vader, but he wasn't voicing him. This is Brendan Wayne and Latif Crowder all over again. They are the Mandalorian. Yeah. So is Pedro Pascal. Yeah. Um, this is no different. And no. a featuring credit. A lot of people are saying, well, there's a bunch of legalese that, that's involved here. Sure. There's a lot of contractual stuff that varies depending on where the production is being made. This is all stuff that the lawyers would, you know, yeah. work out. But the short version is a featuring credit does not necessarily mean that the person that they're featuring as the character is voicing that character. Yeah. So, um, this credit does not debunk nor confirm any of those crazy fan theories about who Maroc might actually be, yeah. including just being Maroc. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. Uh, what's Hank saying? Hank's got a, has a, what, how many characters, especially in star Wars have multiple credits? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Tons. Misty recess. Looking at you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, Mark Hamill voiced uh, um, uh, Bulio, Bulio in uh, one of the bartender droids as well. Maybe it was an uncredited role. Maybe he was Bulio on the Rise of Skywalker. He's the, literally the guy that they they throw his head on the table at the beginning of Rise of Skywalker when they when Poe and and uh, and Finn show up and they uh, get whatever it is from him. He's like, you know, maybe we can do something for you. And he's like, win the war. That guy, the alien yeah. guy. That was Mark Hamill. Anyway, we get the point. Lots of uncredited roles. Um, I do think that this is part of that head snap looking at the purgle. Mm -hmm. This is part of the intentional misdirect. I think that they knew that fans were going to go nuts. They knew that there are people out there that are analyzing this stuff. At it, like, is it Starkiller? That interview, the, the Twitch interview that we uh, featured a couple of weeks ago, like, yeah. you know, that stuff's out there. So you, you can either, you can either, uh, deny it. No, 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 no. Or you can lean into it and now you can have a little fun with it and you control the fans. Yeah. And I do, I do think that that's what's happening here. Totally. And I love it. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I sincerely I, love it. That was the best part of season two of the Mandalorian because they misdirected so hard when Luke Skywalker finally showed up. It was just, <gasps> I know. Yeah. I mean, uh, middle-aged men crying in front of their TVs, myself included. <laughs> do you 
do you try to top that in this show? I don't know. You don't have to, I don't think. I don't think you have to top it, but you can definitely repeat it. Have a little Luke. That's another one that's come yeah, up. Yeah, that it might that's be. That's another one that's come up. Uh, let's talk about that. Well, there is that. I was more thinking, um, uh, you know, with all this stuff going on, why hasn't Ahsoka, like, the first thing she does, oh, Thrawn's on his way back? You don't go to the only Jedi master that you acknowledge as being a Jedi master and go, Master Skywalker, this is happening. We need you. The galaxy needs you. Yeah. You know, on that sense, if they, if they, that's not to say that that can happen, but again, we have a limited number of episodes with which to do all this stuff. So do you, you, we know Thrawn is coming. Presumably Ezra's going to come back. I hope he does. Yeah. We may only get him in that hologram, but do you add another? We want Fen Rao. Um, do you want to add in a Luke Skywalker cameo? We got to get the, the Rebels crew back together. How many people can we shoehorn into five more episodes? True. Optimistically, all of them. <laughs> but again, the reality is that these people, these characters are all now competing for screen time. Yeah. <sighs> so don't forget, it is supposed to be the Ahsoka show case in point i was just going to mention you know like when boba fett wasn't the central protagonist of his own show for an episode or two or two that really stung for some folks yeah didn't bother me i quite i quite liked it but at the same time i get why that why that's gonna upset some people and i and mm. i think that that would so but yeah i mean but at the same time those episodes we don't know where they take place in the timeline yet which ones? The Luke ones? Uh, yeah. Sure we do. Do we? Sure we do. We know that the Ahsoka is taking place concurrently with the events of season three of The Mandalorian. Hmm. Yeah. But that wasn't season three of The Mandalorian. That was Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, which was before. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Right? It's, you think of a Book of Boba Fett as adjunctive to, to, season to, three. to Mandalorian, right? uh hank says that uh, feloni said that uh was george's biggest concern with the clone wars uh screen time for a large cast yeah it's a it's a real concern in any ensemble uh, uh project is who's getting how much time uh and how do you make sure that everybody gets their moment mm -hmm. um and again as you say it is ahsoka's show so do we want the luke skywalker moments or do you do want ahsoka still, to have more or do we still hold out for that rex cameo that's the that's another one uh talking about rex uh how old do we think he's going to be if he shows up uh, can we can we do the and or i mean by the time we get to and or uh what's his name on the streets of uh that that city he's not looking too great long hair big beard yeah but it's still colored that is true he's not an old white hair yet no so he's still got some miles in him that's right that's right i as mean as long uh, as he played nice on whatever he, he made it to the uh to the end of of uh, Return he made of the it Jedi. to the battle of endor battle so. of endor so now we're we're what 11 oh my god we're 11 years ish beyond that now so it would he impossible. still be thinking about that cloning advanced aging yeah uh as hank said rex is also a first uh, first gen clone yeah first batch hmm so yeah i mean there's a good chance that if any any of the clones are alive at this point they are like you know getting up there venerable age like like retirement home like point me at the window it's my birthday <laughs> that kind of so 
yes, I would love to see a, an Ahsoka Rex reunion, but I, I don't. And maybe they'll do it that way, kind of the same way that Steve Rogers did with uh, yeah. Haley Atwell's character Where in she just in shows the up bed, bedside in the bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah as a hey, we did it. Yeah, you know. Oh, you brought you brought him home. <laughs> That's not a good way to look at it, but no. All right. Well, listen, everybody, this has been uh, episode three of our little show here, the Ahsoka Fano show. Uh, it's only a couple of days uh, left before we're we're back at it again uh, with these episodes dropping on Tuesdays. Man, it just seems by the time we get to Sunday night and do our show, by the time you blink, you're, you're ready for another one. one. <laughs> I just wish they would come out a little bit earlier in the day, mm. but that's okay. Haven't done all of these on a Wednesday. Tuesdays are good. Oh, Hank, uh, great work, fellas. So proud. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> well, your fingers were a good substitute. You know, now you've had your own finger magic. So, <laughs> context, people, context. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, it's good. <laughs> Emergency dental surgery, everybody. That's what we're talking about. That's why Hank's not with us. Emergency dental surgery. <laughs> All right, everybody. Listen, I uh, hope you come back next week and hang out with us uh, next Sunday as we get to do this all over again with uh, part four, whatever the title of that one's going to be. Uh, I'm hearing early, early trappings that this might be a long episode mm. uh, and that they may be getting longer towards the end of the season. If that's not your thing, uh, there's always Tuesday nights. Uh, uh, Andy and I, at the very least, uh, like to hang out on Tuesday nights and talk about all the other uh, pop culture stuff that's going on in the world, whether it's uh, music, movies, TV, toys. We do a lot of toy talk, which we is kind of cool. I like that. Um, and it's a 100% audience participation. Would love to see you on Tuesday nights. Get your say about all the important stuff in your pop culture, in your fandoms, because we can't cover everything. So we want to know what's important to you. Yeah. All right, everybody. I think that's it for me. What about you, Andy? That's all I got. All right, everyone. Until next time, for Fandom Power, my name is Wes. I'm Andy. That we will see you on the next one. May Bye. Oh, may the fourth be with you. Bye for now, everybody. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms.